You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, well, good morning, y'all. Thanks, Q. Uh, it's good to see y'all. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake, as you just heard. And um, I'm so glad that you've joined us uh, this morning. Uh, we are continuing our fall practice from the life of Jesus that we're calling Bless. And if you're new to our church, it's helpful to know that every, about every four months or so, we, we take a time, we take a practice from the life and teaching of Jesus and we, and we drill down on it and we encourage and invite one another to adopt that practice into our lives that we would actually do the things that Jesus did because our invitation as a church is to be a disciple of Jesus or to be an apprentice of Jesus. And an apprentice of Jesus really kind of you know, makes it their goal to do three things, to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. And so, like I said, every four months, we, we take a practice from the life of Jesus and we invite us to adopt that and make it our own. And the practice that we are in right now is what we're calling bless. And this word bless, we're using it two ways. We're using it to, to communicate both Jesus' mission and his method, if you will, what he came to do and how he came to do it. See, broadly speaking, Jesus came to bless people, right? And many of us, we would say, we have been blessed by Jesus. Because of Jesus, we know what God the Father is like. He's made God known. But because of Jesus, we know the way to the Father because Jesus came to be the way, to provide the way that he died for us, that we would have our sins forgiven, be united with God. The Spirit would come and live within us, give us life, life to the full. We've been blessed by Jesus. He came to be a blessing. And then you ask the question, well, how did he bless people? Well, that's the second way, second thing we're trying to communicate with this word, how he came to bless. We've, what we've done is we've taken this word, we've turned it into a handy dandy little acronym because pastors love to turn things into acronyms, right? And so uh, we take bless and we say, okay, this, this kind of captures five of the key practices from the life of Jesus, the way that he blessed people. He, he prayed for them. He, in fact, he began with prayer. <laughs> it's a stretch for the acronym, but it's there. Uh, he began with prayer and then he, he would listen to people and he would eat with them and he would serve them and he would share his life and his gospel, the, the gospel of the kingdom of God. He would share that with people that they could have life and life to the full in him. This is how Jesus blessed people. He came to be a blessing and this is how he, he did it. And so this up, up to this point in this series, we've covered the first three parts of that, beginning with prayer, and then last week, listen and eat, kind of summed up with the practice of hospitality. And today, we're going up on the docket is serve. Serve. If you're going to pick one word to sum up how Jesus blessed people, you, you probably pick the word serve. It'd be a good word to pick. It's an umbrella term, just like kind of how we're using bless, right? You could actually say praying for people and listening to people and eating with people are all ways to serve. 
And here's the thing that's absolutely amazing, and I think gets lost on, especially if you grew up in the church, you just, this is commonplace knowledge, and it loses its punch somehow. But Jesus, who is God, served us. That Jesus came to serve I mean, that's, that is, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about Jesus, right? Like, I mean, if you think about it, in our day and age, right, what's, what's the issue that we have with people in power, people with all the, the money, the power, the authority, whatever? It's, it's, it's that they, they use their power so often to oppress people and to cause and force people to serve them, right? Like in our thinking, the commonplace thinking is that if you have power, then you're able to use that power to get people to do what you want but not Jesus. Now, Jesus, who is God, did not use his power to, to force others to do what he wants. No, he, he used his power to serve. Think about how the Apostle Paul sums up Jesus in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. He says this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Pause. How wild is that statement? did not use being God to his own advantage. But you're God. You should be able to use that to your own advantage, right? No, no. Did not use that to be used. Though he was equal with God, did not use it to his own advantage. Rather, Paul goes on to say, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The, uh, in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus uh, famously summed up <laughs> kind of the, really all of his ministry. The reason that he even came in this way, he said, the Son of Man is way to refer to himself. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. To serve and give his life as a ransom for many, which you know what that tells me? (laughs) There was no line that Jesus was unwilling to cross when it comes to serving people, right? <laughs> like, okay, Jesus isn't saying, I'll come and I'll serve, but, but only up to this point, right? Don't ask me to do that. I'll do this, but don't, I won't go that far. No, no, <laughs> he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, that he would willingly lay down his life, that through faith in him, we could receive life, his life, eternal life, abundant life. Jesus came to serve. And in John chapter 13, in the gospel of John, uh, we're told that when Jesus came to give, actually the night before he would give his life as a ransom for many, the night before he would go to the cross, He got his closest disciples together. They were going to celebrate the Passover meal. Do you remember what he did before that meal? He washed his disciples' feet, right? As if it wasn't enough that he was going to literally die for them the next day. He takes time, he stoops down, 
He washes their nasty feet. This is what Jesus is like. This is, friends, this is what God is like. This is what he does. He serves. Some beautiful. In John chapter 13, before we read about Jesus washing his disciples' feet, the uh, disciple John, who was there for that, he, he kind of sums up what Jesus did with, with this line. Verse 1 of John 13, he says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, John connects Jesus' service to love, right? For he understood something that Jesus taught over and over again. That is that love and service are inextricably linked. They go hand in hand, or in one sense, they are of the exact same hand. Two sides of the same coin. That love and service are linked. It's not something that you, you know, love and service, you don't just simply say, uh, I love someone and talk about it as a feeling or having a positive, you know, vibe towards somebody. No, love, true love is action. It's service. John, uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 15, actually on that same night that he washed his disciples' feet. He says, no one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. See, love and service go hand in hand. My daughter, Della, who turns 11 on Friday. Um, yeah? Oh, yeah. Is she even in here? Where is she? Okay, there she is. All right. Well, we argue all the time, Della and I. <laughs> but it's, it's cute arguing because we argue about who loves the other more, right? And so, it's, you know, you do that. I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. And uh, we, we'll go back and forth, back and forth. And then I'll say, prove it. And she'll say, well, I, I wrote you a sweet note today, which she does often, and it's great. Uh, and I'll say, but I love you more because I bought you ice cream today. And then she'll say, no, no, but I, I love you more because I shared some of my ice cream with you today. And we go back and forth. The, the, the sign of our love was pointed to an action, right? Now, if Jesus were to enter into the chat and he said, no, no, I love both of you more. And we say, prove it. He said, well, I laid down my life for you. There's no greater love than that. And he would win. Now, Della, she's ruthless, so she would probably still say, no, but I love you more. But uh, <laughs> love and service, inextricably linked. And so the mark of a loving person, not simply someone who has positive feelings towards others or, or is accepting of others. No, a loving person is someone who serves others, which is why the Son of Man came, not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, uh, in that John 13 passage, after Jesus washes his disciples' feet, while they were still trying to process what it is that he had just done, he, he finishes, he sits back down the table, he looks at his friends in their eye, and he says to them, do you understand what I have done for you? And they're probably thinking, no, like, why in the world would you do that? (laughs) 
He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Meaning, you, you recognize that I am your authority, that I'm your Lord, your master, your teacher. Like, you, it's me and then you guys, right? You understand that? And then he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, that I have washed your feet, that I have moved myself below you, now... I want you to go wash one another's feet. See, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I want you to do as I have done for you. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. And friends, that's what he says to all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the call to follow Jesus, is to do for others what he has done for us, to love others as he has loved us, to serve others as he has served us. And Jesus says, when you do, you'll be blessed you'll be blessed. See, when you recognize how we've been blessed and then we bless others with Jesus, then we even in that find a blessing is greater to give than to receive, Jesus would later say, this all is tied to and <laughs> reinforces blessing. We've been blessed. Let's go bless others. We've been served. Let's go serve others. And that there's a blessing. And now here's the thing. Jesus' uh, disciples, they heard this. They saw how they've been blessed by Jesus. They, they, the next day, see Jesus lay down his life for them on the cross. All of it begins to get real to them to a whole nother degree. Jesus r rises from the grave. They, they are given all of the proof they need that Jesus really was who he said he was, that he wasn't just the teacher. He wasn't just the Lord, but their Lord, but they, he was their God. He was the Messiah. He was God, the son who died for them and rose again. And now they see that they've been loved and served by God. And they take all of this and they say, okay, now, now I'm gonna actually put this into practice. And by the help of the Holy Spirit coming to indwell them, they move out into the world and they do as Jesus had done for them. And they blessed people by serving people, all kinds of people, all different walks of life. Whether they liked him or not, <laughs> they're enemies. They said, no, I'm gonna love them. I'm gonna serve them. This is what Jesus did. As I was uh, putting this series together, right, getting ready to teach this for all of us, um, I thought a lot about the early church. And because, you know, as Krista said earlier, our, our real desire, our heart is to see God's kingdom come as will be done in Austin as it is in heaven, as, that we know that's what Jesus wants. That's why he taught us to pray for that, right? And so we want his kingdom to come. But friends, we know that for God's kingdom to come, to truly come, for, for this city to really be changed, people need to know and trust in Jesus, they need to know Jesus. They need to love Jesus. They need to respond to the way that Jesus has first loved them. We want to help people know Jesus, to find life in Jesus. But here's the thing. We know this, right? That's hard. 
It's awkward. It's like talking to people about Jesus. It's just like I talked about last week. You feel like maybe you have forced a conversation and like, we don't want to do that or whatever. It just, and it feels politically incorrect at times. And some people are hostile to even the idea of it. Others just seem so apathetic. And it's like, well, what do I do? How do we, how do we help our city know Jesus and find life and life to the full in him? That the kingdom will come fully here. How do, how do we do that? Well, like I said, I've been thinking a lot about the early church. Because, you know, the early church, they were in <laughs> a time where the people around them were really hostile to what they believed. I mean, like, like doesn't really even compare to what we experience. I mean, they, they, they lived in a time where, where people would, you know, literally lock them up or kill them for what they believed and for the how they were living. I mean, think, have you ever thought about what it would be like to have been a Christian in 65 AD? I mean, 65 AD, that's when, that's when uh, uh, Nero uh, burned down Rome and then blamed it on, the, on, on this small little sect called the Way, followers of Jesus. And, and the authority started to round up Christians. And uh, Nero had this thing called Nero Circus. You heard about that. It wasn't a, really a circus. It, it was a place where uh, they would, uh, you know, feed people to the lions or there would be gladio- gladiator combat or they would just uh, crucify Christians or burn them on the stake. Get an artist rendering of that here. Um, it's believed that that's where uh, St. Peter died, was beheaded there, Nero Circus. Uh, it's a good chance that's where the Apostle Paul also was killed for his faith. Can you imagine what it would be like to live then and be a follower of Jesus? Here's the thing, though. Um, during that time, and you know, off the wake of that time, the gospel spread like wildfire to the point that uh, in less than 350 years from that, the Roman Empire adopted Christian as their religion. And it's argued that the reason that Christianity became the official religion of Rome was not because uh, of Constantine saying, like, I want this to happen. It's because it was a politically a, a power move because he realized this is what the majority of his populace was made up of. So it was done in response to the, the, all, the Roman Empire, the majority of the Roman Empire had, had become followers of Jesus. That's why it was adopted as the official religion of the Roman Empire. How wild is that? How in the world did that happen? How? I can tell you, it, it didn't happen because uh, Jesus' followers decided to simply attend a worship service on Sunday morning every once in a while and then live for themselves during the rest of the week. 
<laughs> and, and honestly, it didn't even happen because J- Jesus' followers decided to invite their friends to a worship service. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We encourage that around here. That's a good thing. But it didn't happen. That's not why it happened for them back in the early couple centuries of the church. And I'll tell you why. It's be- we know that didn't happen because, um, uh, well, I'll just quote the historian Alan Kreider from his book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, he, he, he writes that early on, Christians made their Sunday worship gatherings a secret, and they, were, they wouldn't even invite their non-believing friends to it, because if a non-Christian came in, sometimes they would be drawn to Jesus through the worship and put their faith in Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. That's a great thing. But sometimes their non-Christian friends would function as a spy, and they would see who was in the church who was made up the church and where the church met. And then they would go to the, to the royal magistrates and they would turn the Christians in and then the soldiers would come and they would either arrest or slaughter the church. And therefore the Christians in the early church made their Sunday or their worship gatherings secret. So how were people drawn to Christ during that time if they couldn't be drawn through a worship gathering? Well, this is what... Kreider says, he, he says, uh, it was not Christian worship that attracted outsiders. It was Christians who attracted them. It was Christians who attracted them. It was, the, how the, it was uh, through the followers of Jesus's public way of life that drew people in. That as people looked in on how Christians did marriage, and did family, how they handled their money, how they were generous with what they had, how they befriended people of all different social economic classes and different ethnicities, as they welcomed in the stranger and were hospitable to the immigrant and to the poor, as they saw these Christians rescue baby girls that are abandoned as infants in the trash heap and adopt them into their family, they looked at how Christians lived, how they loved, and how they served. And they were drawn in. Michael Green, a famous scholar from Oxford in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church, Uh, makes this case. He says that 80% or more of, quote, evangelism in the early church was done by ordinary Christians. Not Christian celebrities or pastors or evangelists like the Apostle Paul, but just ordinary Christians explaining their life to their family and friends. Explaining their life when they were asked, hey, why do you treat your wife with respect? Why Why do you talk so well of your wife? when everyone else is talking so bad about theirs. Why do you respect, why do you respect your husband? Why do, you, why do you actually show love to him? Why, why, do you, why do you care for the poor? Why do you take the little that you have and give some of that away? Why do you do this? Why do you do this? Why do you do? That's how the gospel spread in the early church, through service, through living in a way that demands an explanation and by giving people the reason 
for why they did what they did. Friends, are you, are you picking up what I'm laying down here? You get in this? See, uh, 120 disciples of Jesus huddled together in an upper room in an oppressed region in the far corner of the Roman Empire grew to become the recognized religion of the Roman Empire in 350 years. How? By the way that they lived, by how they loved, how they served. If that can happen in Rome, could that happen here? If that could happen in Rome, I wonder, could that happen here in Austin? I would, I would love to find out. But if we're going to find out, friends, we, we better bless people like Jesus did. We better take up his practices and his way of life, including his call to serve others as he has served us. So how did Jesus serve? Let me get practical here. Think about what are some of the key kind of defining characteristics that, uh, of Jesus as he served people? Uh, to answer that question, I want us to go back to Matthew chapter 20. See, when, when Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Right after that line, very next sentence, the, the gospel writer Matthew goes into a story. And the story is this. It picks up at verse 29 in Matthew chapter 20. It says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, notice what Jesus does. Jesus stopped and he called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him. This story has been very instructive to me when it comes to thinking about the, the kind of key things needed, the kind of key ingredients, you will, to, to serve, G, like, serve others like Jesus has served us, served me. You can see them all right there, right? Four things. What did Jesus do? He stopped. He listened. He had compassion. And... He acted, right? He stopped, and that might not feel like a big deal that he stopped, but it's helpful to know in context, Jesus is on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem where he was going to literally die for the sins of the world. Like this was, this was it. This was the march to Jerusalem. And so uh, these guys yelling for him, he, he could have said, hey guys, sorry, I, I'm busy. Got world altering things to do right now. Something else on my mind. But he stopped. And then what? He, he listened to them. He asked them a question, right? What do you want me to do for you? Now, he's Jesus. He knew, and they were blind. I'm sure he could see that too, right? And so, like, why? But he, 
He drew them out. He, he listened to them. And then as he listened to them, what happens? Compassion. Compassion forms for them. The, the uh, English word compassion comes from the Latin. It literally means to suffer with. The Greek word and that we translate as compassion uh, actually emphasizes the depth of emotion that one feels. The Greek word for compassion means to be moved from the gut with sorrow on behalf of another. It's, it's a word that captures what we feel when we say, I just, I just feel sick to my stomach when I think about what they're going through. And as Jesus listens to what these two blind men want, he's moved on a gut level to help. He wasn't put out by them, bothered by them. No, he hurt with them. And so he acted. There's four thing. He moved to action, heals them. They receive their sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. Friends, I think these four things are key to serving like Jesus has served us. Stop, stopping listening, compassion and action. And I don't know about you, but at different points in my life, I have found all four of them very difficult to do. Um, right now, Krista and I, our pace of life is just, it's just hard, you know. Uh, I've read John Mark Comer's book. I know that I should be ruthlessly eliminating hurry. I know that. I'm trying. But man, we both are working full-time jobs, and our boys are in high school, and they're playing football for their team, and Della's doing cheerleading. And it's just like, man, life is just really busy right now, really full right now. And as a result, this message was really convicting for me as I was putting it together, because when it comes to this idea of stopping, slowing down enough to even take the time to recognize the needs of people around me, I just had to confess to God, God, I'm, I'm having a really hard time doing that. I want to share that with y'all. This right now, this is the part that's hard for me. It's the stopping part. Now, when I get in these places and this week, as I've been, had been forced to spend some time thinking about stopping as I put this message together, what, what I have uh, begun doing once again, but I had gotten away from it, but I'm starting to do once again, is in my time with God in the morning, and I really hope that all of us begin our day in the Word, but in your time in the Word in the morning, in your time in prayer, just to stop and ask God the question, God, is there someone you want me to serve with you today? Is there someone that you want me to serve with you today or this week? And just, just give time for the Spirit to bring someone to mind. He usually does because I don't know about y'all, but uh, the God who came to serve is often wanting to move with us to serve others. And so someone comes to mind and then you just think about, okay, how will I serve them? That's a helpful practice it's stopping and talking to God about that. That's what I need to be doing right now. I started this week, so I will share that. But other times in my life, I've had more time to serve others. I just haven't been aware of how to serve 
Like, it's just not clear to me. Okay, where should I give my time? Who should I serve? What, what do I do there? And what you need at that point in time, friends, is to listen. And sometimes listening looks like asking people directly, how can I serve you? Sometimes that's weird. What I find oftentimes is as long as I'm with people and I'm listening, I will hear ways to serve people. Or as I'm driving around town and I'm listening to the Spirit, I'll see ways to serve people. I'm either listening to God or listening to the people in front of me. That's how I find ways to serve. They'll tell you, my, you know, hanging out with our neighbors and they'll talk about going on a trip. It's like, well, Don's on me. Okay, well, they could probably use someone to roll out their trash can. I can do that. That's an easy way to serve. Or you'll hear our parents talking about how they just never get a date night anymore. And you think, okay, I could watch their kids. That's the way I could serve. Or you hear someone dealing with some financial stress. And you think, okay, I can, I could bless them. I could, I could help meet that need. I mean, you, you'll hear it when you start listening for it. Other times in my life, I've had a hard time serving like Jesus because uh, I uh, have time to serve and I've seen ways to serve. I just don't want to serve. Can I, am I allowed to say that as a pastor? I could say, I could say that, right? The, um, what do you do when you're just not motivated? Well, we, man, we need compassion, right? Compassion comes uh, when we recognize how God loves people. And we start seeing people the way that God sees them. I really encourage you to pray, God, help me see the people in my life like you see them. Help me love the people in my life like you love them. To develop the compassion that comes from God's compassion for them, because God's heart is stirred for them. Now let him stir yours. Now, in addition to that, one of the things that will also help stir compassion is actually spending time with people, getting to know them, hearing their story. Right now, our Neighbors to our left and to our right uh, are both uh, um, elderly and dealing with some pretty difficult medical conditions. And I, I was aware of that, but it wasn't until I sat across the, from them on our porch talking to them to hear really what was going on that I was moved to want to start acting on that. This is where the practice that we talked about last week, hospitality, actually listening and eating with people really also helps stir up compassion, move you to serve. That's a good step to take if you don't feel real desire to serve others. Third, fourth thing is there's been times when I've had all that, been able to have time to stop and serve and seen ways to serve and had even compassion. I was really moved to want to serve. But then when it came down to the actual need in front of me, I felt very ill-equipped to serve, to meet the need. We've been there too, right? What do you do then when you just feel kind of overwhelmed? Like, oh, I don't know how to help. I don't know if I've got what it takes or if I could be of any help at all. What do you do there? Let me give you three things real quick. The first thing that you do is pray. 
You pray and you ask God to give you the power to serve them in a way that stretches your faith and is out of your comfort zone, but it was his working through you to meet their needs. Think about the disciples feeding the 5,000. They did not have what they needed to feed 5,000 people. What did they do? They, they, they listened to Jesus and Jesus said, take that next step and take this bread and break it and pass it out and just keep doing that. And they're like, what? Jesus does that with us, friends. You step out, out of your comfort zone, trusting him to work through you, and you are able to minister to people in ways that you did not believe you could. And it's because you couldn't in and of yourself. But Jesus is with you, and he wants to serve people with you. So step out and serve with him in faith. Go to God, pray, and ask him to move. That's one thing you can do. And I really want to encourage you, like, I'm serious about that. The other thing that you can do is, well, the need is so great. I just can't. There's no way. Okay, well, take the next step and just befriend them. You might not be able to alleviate the surface thing that's causing them their pain or their suffering. But man, just coming alongside of them and being a friend is so powerful. And so befriend them. And then the third thing that you can do whenever you're like, I feel inadequate to serve, you can rally people to join you. Friends, let me just talk about our Midtown communities. Our Midtown communities are awesome for lots of reasons, but one of the, one of the reasons they're awesome is because those are your people to rally people to serve others with you. Your neighbor is in need you tell your friends at your MC, I've got a neighbor, they are in a, this issue, they're having this issue. I can't meet it by myself, but can some of y'all come and help me do this? And then y'all go and do that together. That's the body of Christ in action, doing what Jesus does, serving people. It's beautiful. If you're in an MC or you're college students, you're in midweek, those are your people. Rally those people to go and serve the people in your life. You don't have to do it alone. You've got God, the Spirit of God in you, and your Christian brothers and sisters around you. Let's go serve. Serve like Jesus. So Jesus stopped, and I was going to force a collaborate in there. Stop, collaborate, and listen, you know. A little 90s hip-hop throwback. You like that? Oh, yeah. We don't see him collaborating in that Matthew 20 passage, but we sure can with one another and with him to serve others. Let's stop. Let's listen. Have compassion and be moved to action. Serve like Jesus. Friends, if we do, I think what happened in the Roman Empire, I don't think that was a one-off event. Same God. Same God, still at work. What he did then, he can do now. It's going to take us practicing the way of Jesus. Blessing others like he blessed them. Serving others as he has served us. So, on that note, before we leave here and all go hit the ground running serving people, though I hope we do that. Before we do that, let's take a minute and just reflect on how he has served us 
We're going to do that by partaking in communion together as we do each week. And service, you can go and begin passing out the communion elements. Um, as they're passing out the elements, um, I want to give us a minute here to just reflect on how Jesus has served us. To help us do that, I'm going to put up a couple verses for us on this on the projector. The first is Matthew 20, verse 28, as we've talked about this morning. Second is Romans 5, 6 or 8. I want to give you just a chance to read these and uh, sit with them. And sit with the knowledge that Jesus has served you, that God has served you. Think about how he has served you. Think about the blessings that you have received as a result of his service. Take the time now just to let it, the Spirit impress this upon your heart. Before we go and serve others, let us reflect on how we have first been served. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Mm-hmm.